Mr. Colombo, are you a boss of the mafia? No, I am not. Is there a mafia? No, there is not. Works notorious Gambino crime family. The Lucchese crime family. The alleged boss of the Bonanno crime family. Colombo crime family. The Genovese crime family is the Ivy League of, of the five families. There's nothing beats being a mafia boss. It's uh, better than being a Hollywood star. What is going on, everybody? Welcome in to yet another edition of the This Day in the Mob podcast. I hope that everybody out there is continuing to enjoy our show as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. I am your host, John Curran, and I am here to remind you two things. First, we are still the only daily Mafia History podcast bringing you guys the biggest events in the mob that occurred on this very day in history. And second, If you haven't done so already, and if you have, I appreciate it immensely. But if you haven't, take this time to subscribe, rate, and review our show to help us grow. And if you got a friend or family you think would enjoy it, or a friend's family you think would enjoy it, send it over to them. I would greatly appreciate it. Back when everyone thought that the last bodies in the crazy Gallo Wars had finally dropped, two more would fall on this day 50 years ago, and they would be the two most tragic. So we are headed to the Upper East Side of Manhattan to a restaurant called the Neapolitan Noodle to find out what happened on This Day in the Mob. The Gallo Wars are some of the most famous in a long and bloody history of La Cosa Nostra battles. The lengthy war led to one of the biggest mafia fuck-ups of all time. A case of mistaken identity or just plain shitty timing led to the accidental death of two innocent men. And for whatever reason, the shootings that took place on this day, August 11th in 1972, are not well known to the public. They're not in a lot of documentaries or movies or books. But I want to change all that. I want to show everybody what was one of the biggest blunders in mob history. But in order for me to do that, to tell the story of these slain innocent men, I have to give a little background on the Gallo Wars. Now, the war started all the way back with old man Perfacci, who was the boss of the Perfacci family, which is now the modern-day Colombo family. And the three Gallo brothers, Crazy Joey, Albert Kid Blast, and Larry, who was the oldest of the brothers, were all gangsters in Perfacci's family. Perfacci called on them to do a major piece of mafia work. The boss tasked the Gallo brothers to assassinate the man called the Mad Hatter, Lord High Executioner, the head of Murder Incorporated, Albert Anastasia. It was an extremely dangerous undertaking, but the Gallos had some of the biggest balls in the mafia. So in 1957, Joseph Gallo and his friend and ally, Carmine Persico, entered the Park Sheraton Hotel where Anastasia was getting a daily shave. The two young Perfacci family soldiers executed the executioner. Gallo and Persico both became made men after the hit, and Joey Gallo was given a line of bullshit from Joe Perfacci, the boss, about how 
Gallo and his crew were going to get more lucrative rackets. But old man Perfacci was as greedy as it gets in the mafia. He demanded unrealistic tribute from his mob soldiers, leaving himself fat and happy and his men starving and broke. Joey Gallo, not one to take anything lying down, began making waves, refusing to pay the tributes his boss demanded. He even convinced his boss and mentor, Frankie Schatz Abata Marco, to not pay Joe Perfacci. So when old man Perfacci whacked out Frankie Schatz Abata Marco, the Gallo's mentor, that was the final straw. The Gallo Wars were on. Joey and his brother Larry fearlessly kidnapped four of Joe Perfacci's top captains and his underboss and held them hostage for weeks. Perfacci, getting wind of the plan, fled to Florida where, from a safe distance, he was able to strike a deal with the Gallows. Perfacci said he would give them all of their former mentor Frankie Schatz Abata Marco's lucrative rackets if they released the hostages safely. Larry wanted to take the deal immediately, but Joey rebuffed it, saying it was ridiculous and Joe Perfacci was going to screw them over yet again. But eventually, Larry, the eldest brother, won out and they released the hostages. Well, he should have listened to Crazy Joe because old man Perfacci not only reneged on his deal, but he put out contracts on the Gallo brothers' lives. As Junior Soprano says in the hit HBO show, Old man Perfacci knew how to split his enemies. Perfacci lured Gallo's former friend and ally, Carmine Persico, to his side and bribed him to set up his old friends, the Gallos. Persico attempted to kill Larry Gallo by strangling him in a bar, but failed when a policeman walked in. Sound familiar, Godfather 2 fans? The attempt on Larry's life left him with a permanent scar on his neck, and it left Carmine with a new nickname, the Snake. The war between the Gallows and the Profaci family simmered on and off for a while. Eventually, there was a tentative peace agreement made while Joey was away in jail. Then, when old man Profaci died, Joe Colombo was installed as the new boss of the family. Good, right? Not so much. Colombo was one of the captains that the Gallows had kidnapped and held hostage for weeks during the war. And Joey Colombo, the new boss, had no love for the Gallows. Colombo offered Joey a welcome home gift when he got out of the joint of $1,000, a complete slap in the face to Joey, who predictably went berserk and demanded $100,000 or else he was breaking the bullshit peace agreement. Colombo got exactly what he wanted when he offered that $1,000. He wanted that threat from Gallo so he could put a contract on Crazy Joe, and the war was back on. Now, everybody knows the rest of the story. We covered it in another episode. Columbo is assassinated at the civil rights rally in Columbus Circle. The family thinks Gallo was behind the murder, and Crazy Joe then gets whacked a year later at Umberto's. The war is over, right? Wrong again. Crazy Joe's men, the President Street crew, were loyal as dogs and wanted revenge for his murder. Perfacci was dead, Colombo was dead, so they set their sights on their old friend-turned-traitor, Carmine the Snake Persico, who was now head of the family. It seems like the only person in the mob with more mobster brothers than Joey Gallo was Carmine Persico. 
He had multiple brothers, sons, and nephews in the life. The Gallo crew was decimated by the deaths of Joey and Larry Gallo, but still were vicious and fearless. The President Street Boys were now led by Joey's only surviving brother, Albert Kidblast Gallo, and he had his men hunting for Carmine Persico, his brothers, or anyone else in the Persico faction. But now that Carmine was in prison, as he would end up being in for most of his adult life, that didn't mean the Gallows couldn't get to him. The mob has whacked many of people in prison before. But the Bureau of Prisons were alerted of this and gave Carmine what is called diesel therapy, putting him on a bus and transferring him from prison to prison to prison across the country. Frustrated but undeterred, the Gallo crew would take the next best target on their list, Carmine's brother, Little Alleyboy Persico. At the time of Carmine's incarceration, Alleyboy was the acting boss of the Colombo crime family. Actually, they wanted all of Carmine's top guys. Joey Acavelli, who allegedly gave the go-ahead for the hit on Joey Gallo that day at Umberto's, as well as Jerry Langlangella and Charlie Moose Panarello, two important captains in the family. If you were aligned with Carmine Persico, the Gallows wanted you dead. No chance that they could whack all of these important Persico faction men at once, right? That would be a miracle. Well, it appeared that the President Street's boys' prayers might be answered. They received word that on August 11th, 1972, Alley Boy, Joe Yap, Jerry Lang, and Charlie Moose were all going to be meeting for dinner at a restaurant on the Upper East Side of Manhattan called the Neapolitan Noodle. Now, the Neapolitan Noodle was an old-school Italian joint with a bar in the front of the restaurant and tables in the back. It was like in this semi-basement-type ground floor location that you see in New York where patrons had to step down a few flights of stairs from the street to enter the restaurant. Passers-by on the street could not look into the window and see the patrons inside. The Gallo crew knew that this was one of their only opportunities to whack all of these important Persico loyalists together. So they decided to bring in an outside hitman from Las Vegas to do the job. Their thinking likely was, bring in an unknown hitter, and there was a 0% chance that any of the targets would recognize the killer and try to flee. It would also give the Gallo crew a little bit of plausible deniability if questioned by the cops in the aftermath. The crew sent one of their members, Robert Bon Jovi, aka Bobby Darrow, to point out the targets to the hitman, who, being from Vegas, obviously had zero clue who they were and what they looked like. Bobby Darrow spotted Little Alley Boy, Jerry Lang, and Charlie Moose sitting at the bar. He walked outside and relayed the location of the targets to the hitman who was waiting on the street. Now, the hitman strangely decided to wear a disguise, even though he would be virtually unrecognizable to any of the targets or potential witnesses, but who am I to question the methods of a seasoned contract killer? He wore a long, shoulder-length black wig, massive sunglasses, and a wacky Hawaiian shirt. Anyway, he entered the bar area and locked on to the location of the targets given to him just a few minutes ago by Bobby Darrow. He leaned on the bar where he ordered and nursed a scotch, keeping his eyes on his targets the entire time. Minutes later, the hitman pulled out a 38 caliber revolver for each hand, 
took aim at the man at the bar he'd been ordered to kill and began firing off round after round after round, nine bullets in total, into the unsuspecting targets. Now, the hitman, who was a professional, didn't panic like the customers in the restaurant began to. He calmly placed the two smoking revolvers on the bar, turned around, walked into the street, and blended into the New York City hustle and bustle. Smiling, knowing he just pulled off another successful job and eliminated his targets. Except they weren't his targets. In the less than a few minutes that it took for Bobby Darrow to locate Alley Boy Persico and the other targets at their seats at the bar, walk across the street, relay the information to the hitman, the targets had gotten up to be seated at their table in the back of the restaurant. Then, in what can only be described as one of the worst cases of wrong place, wrong time ever, a group of innocent businessmen quickly claimed the recently vacated bar stools, unbeknownst to Darrow or the hitman. The unsuspecting innocent bystanders were just a couple of friends who worked in the meatpacking industry together with absolutely zero ties to any kind of organized crime whatsoever. They were all in a jovial mood, celebrating the engagement of one of their daughters to the manager of the Neapolitan Noodle. What should have been a joyful memory turned into a disastrous one in a matter of seconds. In the attack, two of the men, both in their 40s, both just hard-working family men, were left dead on the floor while two of their friends suffered non-fatal wounds. The cops immediately headed for President Street to round up the Gallo crew. Everyone in Roy Roy's club, the crew's hangout, was brought down to the precinct for questioning, but all had plausible deniability and an alibi. At least part of their plan worked out. While they were in police custody, the boys began to inquire about the shooting. They were shocked, enraged, and utterly speechless when the cops told them that the guys that were shot at the noodle that night were just normal civilians, not the Persico clan the crew assumed were lying dead on the floor. The Gallo crew, released from police custody, met back at Roy Roy's bar on President Street where they were absolutely reeling. They had no idea what had happened. What went wrong? Did Bobby Darrow set them up to fail? Or was this really just a horrible case of stolen bar seats? The Gallows had their one shot to take out a big chunk of Persico's crew and potentially win the war once and for all. But they blew it, and now were poised to get slaughtered themselves. The media and the papers had a field day. In the last decade, especially the last three years with Columbo, Crazy Joe, and now the noodle hits, there has been constant violence in the underworld centered around the Gallows. The gangsters started to regret making headlines as the government was now set to come down on them harder than ever. New York City Mayor John Lindsay was irate at the gangland violence terrorizing his city, and he told reporters, quote, that the romantization of the mob must be stopped and the gangsters run out of town. The cops should cleanse the streets and not stop until all the wise guys have been chased into the sea, end quote. He would go on to set up an organized crime task force to crack down on the mafia harder than ever. So the bosses on the commission were forced to intervene to stop the madness. Albert Kidblast Gallo, the last surviving Gallo brother, and the rest of the remnants of 
the crew, were allowed to leave the Colombo family and join the Genovese family. The commission gave the order that the war was over. There will be no more violence from either side. It was time to stop making headlines and start making money again. Today marks the 50th anniversary of the Neapolitan noodle murders of two innocent men and still nobody talks about it much. It's not covered in documentaries or movies. Author Frank DiMatteo, a former Gallo associate, is the only one who I've read who gives any mention in any of the books about the Neapolitan murders. I guess there's really no happy endings to Mafia Wars, but this one for sure has to be one of the saddest. I'm John Curran. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your friend's family, and tell them to rate and review and subscribe to our show. Check us out on all social media. See pictures of all of our subjects, including our new TikTok channel, which we just launched. All of our social media is at this day in the mob. But most importantly, be sure to tune in tomorrow, August 12th, where we'll discuss one of the most successful bootleggers you've never heard of. Ciao for now.